sure you had your eyes closed during that prayer, but I, I wish you'd had them open so you could, Jenny's been working out. She was able to move this podium up here like nothing. She's been training. Um, yeah, she's, uh, yeah, she's got a male bodybuilding trophy to prove it. And uh, um, if you weren't here last week, you think that was probably the rudest thing you've ever heard in church, but um, I have... Uh, Anyway, I have a female bodybuilding trophy. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so, uh, so last week we talked about the difference between trying and training, and it's uh, just a really rich principle uh, that basically means that we um, rearrange our lives around certain activities, practices, exercises that enable us to do tomorrow what we're unable to do today or un- unable uh, to to do someday what we're unable to do today. Um, according to Romans 12.1, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. One of the ways that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice uh, would be through those spiritual exercises. We also offer our bodies as living sacrifices, and this is kind of going back a couple of weeks ago, when even in life's most pressing situations, uh, we allow God to, uh, to do a cleansing work in us as he burns off the excess, as he makes us um, creates us more uh, to be more like Christ. And we live in a culture that is very interested in what is the newest, greatest, latest. But this is an ancient principle that still applies for today. This ancient principle of we offer ourselves to God regularly um, in order for God to transform us. So um, about 20 years after that uh, fateful day that I was in a, that contest and got that trophy, uh, and about 10 years ago from what we're talking now, uh, I, w- I woke up and did what I had been doing almost every morning or uh, regularly when I lived in Tampa. I went to the gym uh, downtown Tampa that was close to the offices. I worked out, I got cleaned up, and I'm on my way to the church offices, and I'm nearing a traffic light when a police car crosses in front of me and stops in the intersection, kind of parks diagonally, blocks it so that none of us can proceed through as lights are flashing and all that. No sooner does he get parked and get out of his car, I heard a gunshot. Now, I kind of, we had lived in Tampa maybe three months by that time. And I thought, what have I moved my family to? You know, what, I thought this was supposed to be a really nice, safe area. And so, um, so anyway, one gun, gunshot turns into like two gunshots and three. Now there's multiple gunshots. I, can, I can't see around this big building on my right in downtown, but I can tell that's where it's coming from, and the policeman is looking that way. I look over at the, at the car next to me, and there is a lady that looks terrified in the driver's seat. I knew she looked terrified because she looked just like me. <laughs> and so... So um, I see her, she unbuckles her seatbelt at about the same time I do. I'm hunching down kind of behind the steering wheel and the dash, so I can kind of see what's going on, but I don't want to see too much, you know. She is unbuckling her seatbelt, climbing into the back seat and using herself as a human shield over her baby in the back seat. So all this is going on, and, and the gunshots are getting louder, 
And it just seems like they're probably getting closer. And I'm looking over at her and I kind of gave her a thumbs up, like, are you okay? You know, and, and she gives me a thumbs up back. And, and if you think I'm a wimp for doing that, I just want you to know I was praying for her. Okay. <laughs> I was praying for her. And so, uh, the gunshots are getting louder and more intense. And then I see this black truck pull into the intersection pulling a parade float with a bunch of pirates and on a boat. And uh, I didn't know, but it was the kind of the day in Tampa where pirates reenact stealing the keys to the city. And these grown men with a bunch of toy guns are shooting, shooting these guns in downtown. And um, at that moment, the police officer is laughing his head off, okay? <laughs> he sees what we had done. And so I'm kind of climbing back out of the floorboard. I'm putting my seatbelt on. I'm looking over at the lady. She's giving me a look like, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Appreciate all the help that you offered me. Um, and it wasn't too long after that. Like later that day, I, I had to ask myself, um, after my manly trip to the gym where I had lifted all those weights um, and I'm presented with an opportunity to like put some of that macho manliness to use that I was working towards, all I did was cower in my car. And what I want us to consider today is not only do we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice for these spiritual exercises, but we do this because we live in a world that needs to be rescued, that needs to be saved. And my fear would be that we would devote ourselves to these spiritual exercises, that we would devote ourselves to church, and whether we want to admit it or not, we might kind of cower and stay here instead of getting out and helping those people who are vulnerable and who are in need. Romans 12, 1 and 2 begins with, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We believe that that spiritual transformation is central to the gospel. Therefore, it is central to the mission that God has given to the church. And we truncate the gospel anytime we reduce, um, the, reduce the salvation message to like a cosmic car wash where you just kind of reach out to God for forgiveness and once you're clean, then that's it. There must be an inner transformation. There must be something in us that begins to change. We, our, our thoughts are renewed. We begin to look at the world differently. We see God for more the, um, who he is. Uh, we see ourselves differently, and we see ourselves in the way that God sees us. And this inner transformation changes the way that we go back out into the world. We are transformed to the glory of God for the abundance of our own lives, but also for the sake of others. We get out there and we do something. Matthew 4.19 is a, is a scripture verse that you've heard us uh, talk about here before. It's a, it's a verse that we use to define the three parts of being a disciple, uh, following Jesus, being changed by Jesus. 
and living uh, committed to the mission to, the G- to Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, basically what we are saying is um, that this is all about being loved. It's not we're going to start following Jesus because uh, our goal is to no longer make mistakes or our goal is to be right. It's that our goal is to be loved by him. And as we are loved by him, then we continue following him. And this is where the change begins to take place. Uh, We are transformed in ways that we look more and more like Jesus, speaking and acting and thinking the way that Jesus did. And then the most natural result of that is understanding that we are changed for the sake of others. We do all this, as, as this Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, we are changed so that we can discern God's will. We do these things so that we can carry God's strength out into a dangerous world. We do this so that others will receive back the life that was stolen from them. We take our eyes off of ourselves, and we look around us. And it really, it occurred to me that day, and, and since then, as I've reflected on it, um, that the gym is a great place to grow stronger, but it's, a ter- but it's terrible if that's the only place you use your strength. The best use of this space, the best use of this room, the best use of this church service is to think of it as a giant platform or a launching pad. Uh, Not too many people know this, but beneath this floor is a giant spring. And when we walk out onto this floor, when we fill this room, our gathering adds tension to the spring and we worship our creator, which is like winding the spring tighter and tighter until we are catapulted back out into the world as Jesus' hands and feet. If you've been here at Central for a while, you're probably familiar with um, our plans for out there on the patio area, and this campaign is called Raise the Roof. I want to propose a new campaign that we call it um, Blow the Roof Off, okay? And that's for this room. I pray that this auditorium will be filled with people who have such a passionate and life-changing encounter with Jesus that they cannot sit still. I pray that God begins to stir in us, begins to wind us up in a way that blows the roof off of this place. That we get to that point where we, we say we must go and tell others of the good news. We are catapulted with a holy force. And we realize that nothing is going to stop us from going out there and sharing with the world what they need to hear. Uh, let me specifically address the youth who are going to Northern Ireland. If you could take a break from your phones for just a second. <laughs> this is what I want you guys to do. <laughs> um, I want you to start worshiping Jesus like you've never worshiped him before. I want you to commune with him. I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. And then when you get to Northern Ireland and you walk into that riot house, which means revival in our town, when you are gathering with those people, I pray that God has done such a work in you that you blow the roof off of that riot house. That God would do something in you 
that unleashes you and the potential and the power that God places in you to do a good work in his name. Yeah, we want you to look more like Jesus, but it's not about being right and avoiding the wrong things. It is about going out into the world and shaking it up, being a difference maker. God has given us our own homes that we need to blow the roof off, our own workplaces where we need to blow the roof off. Where is your place? As you launch out into the world to do God's will, there is something that God wants you to take with you. And it's described for us in Romans 12, beginning in verse 3. And uh, we're going to read from Romans 12 here for a little bit. And then we're going to also look over in 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to get a head start, uh, finding that and putting your finger in the Bible there. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, and this is what you're going to take with you. The gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given you. We have uh, different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And this isn't um, an exhaustive list. But this, maybe there is one in this list that you can relate to. There are other places in scripture that describe them. But I want you to know that you, as one who has received Christ into your life, you have been breathed into with a gift. That's what spiritual gift literally means. Spirit is God's breath. God breathed life into you in your salvation. God breathed a gift, the gift of his breath, the gift of his spirit into you. Now, if you'd like a little bit more information about spiritual gifts and maybe discovering yours, I sent a link in an email to our life group leaders, and I would encourage you to jump into a life group and find out more about those spiritual gifts. Um, one reason I encourage you to find out about those is we don't just find out about our spiritual gifts by taking an online assessment. We do that in the community of others. And we, we understand more how God has gifted us according to the affirmation that others give us in that. And so that was a big reason why I sent that link to the life group leaders that and, and I just forgot to get it to Brooke in time to put it up on the screens. So, all right. So I want you to just stop and think about this, that you are given a God breathed ability to do a super, a supernatural work. God breathes into you, and when you use that gift, you are breathing God's spirit onto other people. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul again addresses this concept of spiritual gifts. In both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, it is um, immediately followed by love, this mention of love. And so as we use these gifts, we do so with the heart of love. But I want us to look at a few of these verses in, in 1 Corinthians 12 because they warn us of a trap that we may find ourselves in, and it's the comparison trap. We think about how God has gifted um, ourselves, and we look at somebody else, and we see the ways that God has gifted them or the fruit from that. 
And I want us to avoid the comparison trap when we are doing God's will, when we discover what God has put us on this earth to do, it does no benefit to anyone when we're comparing A to B. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 15, um, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. This comparison trap leads to a thorny issue called shame. Um, it could lead to looking at what somebody else is gifted to do and think, well, I'm just not enough. And what we fail to understand, and this is kind of our Western culture, in our Western culture, we start off with a me-centered mentality where Paul's audience saw that their worth was always in relation to the whole. They recognized because of the goodness of the body, then you yourself also play a very key role. And so we can look at others and we can feel ashamed or, and let me continue on in a few of these verses, the reverse is also possible. We can become arrogant enough to proclaim, even if only to ourselves, that we do not need other parts of the body, the weaker, um, needier brother or sister. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. In other words, in our shame, we have to be careful not to shame others. So if you question the need um, for God's ongoing breath in your life, I want to warn you of, of three illusions. And uh, I just want to kind of briefly touch on these. Um, if you question the need of God's breath, of God's spirit in you, um, there are three illusions that we have to watch out for. Illusion number one is that you can change the world without the help of Jesus. Um, can you go out in your own strength and do good things? Yes. But I would argue that the only reason you're able to do that, even if you've not received Christ into your life, is because you were created in the image of a God who does good. But... If we um, attempt to serve and give our lives away for the sake of others, and you don't think that you need to lay your life on the altar, then this illusion is kind of leading you to say, if, if this is going to happen, it's up to me. I got to really get myself ramped up. It's up to my level of confidence. Um, it's up to me to never have a bad day, and I can't let other people see me sweat. Um, it would be like saying, I'm going to go to Northern Ireland, and I'm going to do this because um, I'm going to really, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to try my hardest. And we talked about the dangers of that last week. Rather than trying, we train, we lay ourselves in the presence of God so that he can breathe into us. And that is um, what we need. God breathes, God exhales deeply into us. We need that personal time on the altar where we allow God to burn off the excess. And when we do that, then we're able to go back out into the world 
with a, a purer, healthier form of God's love. Um, if you think you can make a difference in the world without daily offering yourself to God, then you will run out of breath. You need God's breath if you're going to breathe out God onto others. I thought this was interesting for those of you that are following our Let's Read the Bible Together plan. Um, in uh, Exodus, Moses is called by God to go free the people of Israel from Egypt. And so this is that big uh, burning bush moment. Um, this is where Moses is discerning God's will for his life. And Moses' first reply is uh, excuses. I, I can't do this. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good leader. I mean, why would they follow me? And I love God's response. It's not like he gives them a real big pep talk, like, oh, you're a better speaker than what you realize. It's almost like God's realizing, recognizing it and going, yeah, you are pretty bad at that. Um, but I tell you what, I'm going to be with you. And this is such a powerful truth. You see, the reason we need the help of Jesus is the same reason Moses did. is because Moses went into this saying, God, I need you to breathe into me. Otherwise, I don't have a chance. And we kind of come to God with that same desperation. And we trust that he is going to breathe into us what we need. Whether you're going to Ireland or you're going back to work, you may not be aware of everything that needs to be said. But God will be with you. What you need is God's breath in you. The same God that breathes power and love and perseverance into Moses is the same God that breathes power, love, and perseverance into us. Illusion number two is that you can change the world without bothering with changing yourself. Um, you might be thinking, well, I'm going to serve, I'm going to really go all in and give myself to God uh, for others, for the sake of others as soon as a little bit more change takes place. And if we continue to wait for this, um, then what we are doing is we are stunting our growth because it is through offering ourselves to others that God does a transforming work in us. There is some work that he will do through those spiritual exercises, but there is also a work that he can only do as we place ourselves, so we step out in faith to be used by him. Um, until you roll up your sleeves and get messy through serving others, you will not have a full understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. You will not become all that God created you to be until you step out. So if you're waiting until you get in shape, spiritually speaking, to do this, it's kind of like saying, I'm going to wait until I get in good physical shape and then I'm going to join the gym. No, <laughs> You join the gym because you realize there's some stuff that needs to happen. And, and serving is one of those ways that, uh, that this can take place. Let me be real specific in this example. Um, when we ask if you would be willing to serve in kids' ministry, we are not asking for something from you. We are offering something to you. And this is what I mean by that. Um, you will find as you serve those children, you will find Jesus in your midst. 
It's not like when we ask you to serve, whether it's in children's ministry or, or any other ministry here in our church or beyond, we're not asking you to kind of think through all the things that you have to offer that nobody else has. That's not what it's about. It's not like, oh, yeah, you're right. I can do this, this, and this. And boy, wouldn't that be helpful for other people? That's, that's not what it's about. We don't want something from you. We have something for you. And what we have for you is an opportunity to dwell with Jesus in the midst of that serving. And when we are in the presence of Jesus as we serve, our lives are changed. And that's why you hear so many people say, you know, I went out to be a blessing to others and they were so much more of a blessing to me. It's because Jesus was there. And we put ourselves in Jesus' presence for him to do a great work in us. And so in Romans 12, verse 2, it concludes by saying, um, so that, or then you will be able to discern God's will, his good and perfect will for you. So we do all of these things so that we can know what God's will is for our lives, so that we can know what our purpose is, so that we can kind of step outside of our own little empire and we can be a part of God's big kingdom work. You surrender and submit to God in ways that position, to you, position you to receive God's will. And note that it's God's will, not God's opinion. We're not asking God what he thinks, and then we kind of weigh it and go, huh, no, it's okay. <laughs> we are saying, um, grant us discernment. Discernment is a gift. Give us discernment so that we can know your will and that we can respond in obedience and do your will. As a church, we will fast and pray. We will engage in those exercises. We, are, we will offer our bodies through prayer and fasting so that we as a body can discern God's will for future steps for us as a church. We don't have a specific date on the calendar yet for when that fasting is going to take place. So I would recommend just start eating a whole bunch now. Um, no. <laughs> Now, we're going to let you know when, when that is, and we want you to participate that. We are going to, it's a group exercise class. We are going to exercise together so that we can discern and do God's will. Prayer and fasting are just two of the exercises that we can do as we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So I'm going to get a little bit more specific, and I want to ask you this. Your calling, your mission, your life purpose you realize it's bigger than a career, don't you? It's bigger than your job. Um, your unique calling will be based on the gifts that God has given you, the abilities that he has blessed you with, that he's trained you in. Um, and these will grow out of your deepest desires and a response to the world's needs. Those deep desires, we refer to those kind of like God planting a seed within you from before you were born, he planted this desire deep within you to live a full life and to carry that full life out for others to experience it. I love this quote by Thomas Merton. He says, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat. Although those are two, that second question is actually a pretty good question. You can feel free to ask me what I like to eat. This is key. Ask me what I am living for and what I think is keeping me from living fully that. If you are in a life group or if you get with, a, with a, a friend or two, these would be two great questions 
to regularly ask one another. Question one, what are, what are you living for? And you might know in your head, yeah, I've got this goal. But you kind of look at your life and you realize, boy, I've been living for something. that My life shows that I've been living for something that I, I don't value. So what, what are you living for? Um, what is that seed, that desire that God has given you for a full life and then to, to change the world? To uh, What is it that you are living for? What is it that is worth rearranging your life for? What is that mountain that you would be willing to die on? What are you living for? And then the second question, what is keeping you from living fully for that? What has you stuck? What is holding you back from living out your divine purpose in life? I recently ran across an older journal entry and I thought about our church and our city. And I'll wrap up with this. On a clear, calm day such as today, serene is the best description of this sacred spot. I come up here on the mountain to relax, reflect, breathe deeply. It's a great place to pause. I'd experience a deeper rest atop this mountain if I had more faith that my truck won't pop out of gear, roll downhill, and careen over the sharp embankment. So then I got to thinking about what would I do if my truck popped out of gear? What if this emergency brake doesn't hold? If it starts rolling, what will I do? Do I dive through the open window and hit the brakes? Do I dig my heels into the pavement and lean all my weight against it? Sacrifice my body by chalking the wheel? I won't do anything other than maybe wave as it goes by. (laughs) If it wants to go, there's not much I can do about it. (laughs) And so then I added these thoughts this week. I wonder what could happen with a little momentum in our church. What if we viewed mountaintop experiences not as an end in themselves, but rather a place to start rolling in the direction of the people in the valley we are called to rescue? What if one or two of us began moving in the direction of arranging our entire lives around pursuing our deepest joy and greatest calling? What if, as a church, we popped out of whatever gear is keeping us where we are? What if, as a church, we began sacrificially loving this city? What if we admitted that we have spent too much time setting an emergency brake rather than releasing the brake so we can address this city's emergencies? Once God's work got started through us, I don't think there's much anyone or anything could do to stop it. But here's the deal. I bet each one of us has an emergency break. Probably some type of a mental emergency break. Or you arrived here in a certain gear, and you realize that what God is calling you to is going to require that you forsake your plans and you put your life in neutral as a way to just kind of yield to what God is doing. So what is your emergency break? Excuses? Reasons? Natural obstacles? Setbacks? Doubt? Insecurity? Lifelong plans? Here's my question. What do you need to release so the gravity of grace can pull you towards those who need life? What do you need to release? I pray that we start waving more to people here at this church. That we see people who are gaining momentum, who realize 
that this time here on Sunday is just to propel them with greater force back out into the valley. And we spend more time not just waving and saying, I'll see you next week. It's waving because we realize God is doing a work in them and there is nothing anybody can do to stop it. What if that type of momentum overtook our church? Spiritual transformation glorifies God. Spiritual transformation results in the abundance of your life. But ultimately, spiritual transformation results in giving our lives away for the sake of others. And if we don't get to that third part, we're cheating ourselves and we're cheating this city that we live in. How can you use your gifts? How can you release your gifts to make a difference? Let me pray. All-knowing and creator God, thank you for gifting each of us, for breathing into us. Continue to transform us. God, I want to be more than a poser in a gym. I want to sacrificially lay my life out for those who need to be saved. Forgive me and any others who can confess to this. Forgive us for the times that we've been cowards, when we have ducked and hidden. Give us the courage we will need to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus, who I want to be more alike. Amen. Today, um, we've chosen not to end with a closing song. Instead, this is how I want you to go. (laughs) I want God to do something in you that nobody is going to be able to stop. I want any momentum that you have here, any momentum that you get as you spend time with God, offering your body as a living sacrifice, I want that momentum to carry you through the week, crashing through this valley to tell people about Jesus. You're dismissed.